Hey gang, welcome to the Gill Athletics Connections podcast, the show that brings you the men and women of track and field and explores their unique stories. The show is brought to you by Gill Athletics. Head on over to gillathletics.com to find all your track and field equipment needs. I'm your host, Mike Cunningham, National Sales Manager for Gill. In this episode, I'm also your guest. Today, we've got a rebroadcast from Real Talk with Brandon Morton. He does a great podcast. You should definitely go check him out. And he decided to interview your humble host here, myself. So had a great time. If you've ever been interested in my background as a 10-year college coach, including the SEC, as well as a unique stop in between coaching and coming here to Gill Athletics, you might enjoy this one. So without further ado, please help me welcome myself. Today on Real Talk with Coach Morton and Friends, um, I have a guy that is um, doing a lot of big things. Um, right now he's with Gill Athletics. He has a coaching background. Um, <clears throat> he's actually the uh, National Sales and Business Development Manager for Gill Athletics, but he's at coaching stops um, at Neosho um, uh, Community College, Troy University, Ball State, Mississippi State. So he's got an extensive coaching background. Mike Cunningham, how you doing? Oh man, I am. Uh, I'm living the dream, baby. And when you know most people say that, they uh, uh, it's kind of a killer, uh, you know, saying. I, I live the dream, man, with the job that I have and the people I get to talk to, like you, right now. So this is awesome. Yes, sir. That, that's a blessing. Um, to, you know, I, I know a lot of people that don't get to um, do the thing that they love for their career. So um, it's truly a blessing, and. Um, you know, it's not to be taken lightly when you get to do it. So um, I can tell by your enthusiasm when we talk, you're, you know, really excited and upbeat. And, and you know, that's a great sign that you're doing what you love to do. <laughs> yeah. And I tell you, you know, I know we're in a tough time for track and field. Uh, and I certainly, you know, I, I miss track and field. So I can't imagine what coaches uh, are dealing with right now and the athletes. Uh, but honestly, you know, I, I hope this time down away from track and field uh, allows us to get some perspective of what coaching this great sport does for us. And so when we get to get back in this, hopefully this fall, we're back on the track practice track. And then as we hit to January and start getting indoor season back, uh, you know, I, I just know, you know, knowing the coaches that I know around the, the world, I know there's going to be like this um, – crescendo of, of, of excitement of like, you know what, I miss doing this. This is my calling uh, and, and more of a perspective of what this sport is and what this profession is. So I'm, I'm pumped. Yeah, I, I am so excited to get every, get back started. I'm, you know, obviously I missed the sport to death, um, you know, um, but actually I, I try to take the positive and, you know, obviously we're having more time to spend with family um, now. Uh, me and my wife, you know, enjoying time together. Um, but obviously, you, you know, you want to get back out there and, and work with your kids and, and um, see them do great things on the track as well. So, hey, that's a big deal, though, Brandon. Uh, you know, I started a group, uh, me personally, I didn't even tell the company for a long time, to be honest with you, uh, because it, it, just, it, it didn't have anything to do with Gil. It just had to do with my passion for mm -hmm. track coaches as a former track coach myself. Uh, I started a group on Facebook called Beyond the Track where there's two rules in that group. One is, you know, no bashing of other people, mm -hmm. of course, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and I didn't think we'd ever have to deal with it, and we haven't. But number two, the number two rule is, is we can talk about anything you want except 
how to make a kid jump further, how to make a kid run faster, et cetera. There's so many great opportunities to learn those things. Uh, and one of those is a new Facebook group that started out of this whole coronavirus thing, the Coaches Collab, which is amazing. I, I can't uh, tell you how awesome that uh, group has been. Marissa Chu has started that group. Okay. Uh, the group that I started a couple years ago now, Beyond the Track, we talk about financial health, uh, relationship health, uh, much to what you talked about there, Brandon, with your wife. Talk about, you know, hey, you're away from your spouse a majority of the time with coaching and recruiting, et cetera. You raise 18 to 22-year-olds, and sometimes we neglect our own children because of mm -hmm. that. Uh, and so we, you know, we talk a lot of things about retirement and um, how to hire someone, how to, how to fire someone. If you're a head coach, you, you need to know how to do it the right way. So um, just love that aspect that you are using this time, you yourself, Brandon, to, uh, to connect back with your wife. Cause uh, let's see, it's one o'clock on a, a Tuesday for us that we're, as we're recording this, you'd be on the track right now, not yeah. spending time with your wife. So I love yeah. that you are doubling down on that. Yeah, that, <laughs> you're right. I mean, talk about days that go from 7 a.m. to, I mean, I, my Mondays and Wednesdays are 7 a.m. until 5, if I don't go to the weight room with them. If I go to the weight room, it's 7 a.m. till 6. And so it's just, you know, your whole day gets taken. So, like I said, I'm taking a chance to, you know, smell the air and, and take in everything. We go for walks and go jogging. I just take awesome. everything, you know. So. I love that. Thank you mm -hmm. for doing that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so how did you get into sports? Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> so I grew up in Alabama. Uh, I don't know. Where, where are you from originally, Brandon? I'm from South Carolina. Okay, so this is similar. Alabama ratchets it up a little bit. Uh, so down there, you have to play football if you're in high school. <laughs> uh, so I started playing football my freshman year. And then when the spring rolled around, uh, I really didn't even think about doing track or anything. In fact, I just thought about spring football. Uh, and then one day in January, uh, over the PA system of our school, I remember it like it was yesterday, uh, an announcement comes over the PA system and says, if anybody's interested in running indoor track, meet Coach Anderson in the cafeteria after school. And uh, this might tell you a little bit about me, at least at least uh, freshman year, uh, Mike Cunningham anyway. Uh, I literally heard that and was like, indoor track how hard can that be and that's the and that's the reason that's how I got into track and field I didn't know anybody anything I didn't know Carl Lewis Olympics gold medalist <laughs> things like that I had no idea what track really was except for you know just knowing about running and stuff yeah. and I thought this has to be an easy way to get another letter for my letterman's jacket <laughs> and so I joined indoor track and field and that's how I started my track career in uh, 1990. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was similar, similar for me. I, I sure wasn't interested in track. I knew nothing about it. I was a basketball guy, and um, my buddies were like, man, just come on out. Come on. And at that time, like you said, this was 97, and um, they say, you know, there's a ton of girls out there. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, and that was my trigger to go out and run track. And I ended up just falling in love with it, uh, you know, um, regardless of what females were out there. But um, yeah, it, I mean, it's funny how we all get involved in the sports. Because in the United States, I mean, you know, track is not the number one number one sport. It's just kind of like like that that backup sport for the majority. 
Yeah, you know, what's interesting about that is definitely on the perspective of salaries and TV time, mm -hmm. track and field is not there. But, you know, in high school, track and field mm -hmm. is the number one participation yep. sport. And when you add men and women together on the college level, number one participation sport. Yep. So it, it amazes me that we don't have more people at track and field meets when you think about the majority or, you know, a high percentage of people did some form of track through high school or college. Yeah. I, um, and, you know, I was looking at, um, I'm trying to find the name of it right now. Um, there was a podcast, it's brand new actually with, um, some coaches it's, it's um i think it's athletics llc it's a youtube channel um and they did they talked about yesterday you know what can they what what can be done or not I, I watched it yesterday i'm sorry um but they talked about what can be done to um increase the revenue within the sport for the athletes and just talking about the athletes having to take a stand and um you know, sort of kind of boycott stuff, you know, and say, we're not going to show up. Nobody can back out and say, you know, I, I need this money. Everybody's going to have to literally step up and say, no, until we can get a piece of the pie, you know, we're not competing. Um, yeah, I, I think of that same aspect with our track coaches, uh, with their salaries. You, mm -hmm. you know, there's a, a wide disparity. And luckily, over the last, say, uh, maybe 10 years, actually, over the last decade, salaries have risen. I know some of you are listening right now and say that yours has not risen. I get it. Uh, but we have so many uh, track and field jobs on the college level that pay peanuts. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, depending on how you look at it, there'll be 100 resumes for that job that will take that 12500 a year, that 20000 a year. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it is to the point where you sometimes you think about if we would just hold ourselves to a higher standard and say, you know what, I'm coaching more athletes than any other coach on this campus. I'm coaching more sports when yes. you take in men and women's cross, indoor, outdoor. I deserve to be paid a respectable wage. We're not trying to get rich. We don't get into track and field to be rich, but we certainly don't get into track and field to be poor either. No. Um and I think it's up to coaches to find the right situation for them where they can make themselves valuable. I mean, some schools, I mean, just be completely honest, to some schools, winning is not important. Some schools, it's all about how big is the roster, you know. And um, obviously, it's up to you as a coach at that point. You know, your first priority is to get a big roster. And then the next priority has got, for you, should be to try to figure out how to make that a successful team. But, you know, I mean, some schools don't care if you have 15 kids on the team. If you got 15 kids on the team, you're winning a conference championship. They don't care, you know. And, you know, you got to know the difference um, between the two. And if you're – if what you want to do does not line up with what the mission of the school is, the mission and vision of the school, then they're not going to pay you, obviously, you know. Um, and, I mean, every situation is different, you know. And I think it's up to the coaches to figure out um, – you know, based on their situation, how do I make myself valuable to this institution? And um, to the point where they have to think about, okay, we need to, you know, you may, you're not going to make more than the football coach or the basketball coach, <laughs> but like I say, you can make a decent living um, off of doing this. So, you know, it's, that's an interesting, um, that's something, that's an interesting topic to, to, to um, future conversations. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. 1,000% is, you know, we don't get in this to get rich, but, um, you know, there's always a way to, um, I think, get get a little bit more um, mm -hmm. 
just got to figure out what it is. Um, now, obviously, you know, we'll get into here you're in sales right now and, um, but you started off in coaching. So from your athletic career, what drove you to, to start coaching? What led you to start coaching? Uh, you know, it was a combination of things. When um, I graduated high school in Alabama, I moved to Chicago and started going to school at an engineering school up there. And uh, academically, it was just, it was over my head, man. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what I was doing in that school, to be honest with you. Uh, and so, uh, and they didn't have track and field. So, you know, I missed, I missed track. Uh, I, I played four years of high school football in Alabama, which is a big yeah. deal. And uh, for down there and started, I love, I love football. In fact, college football is still my, my number. I don't even watch NFL. I love college football. Yeah. Uh, but I, something with track just, pulled me in. So uh, outside of the fraternity house that I was living in, literally right outside the, uh, the window was the high school in Chicago, uh, De La Salle High School. And so I called up one day after I, qu I quit college my freshman year, uh, called up one day uh, the track coach over there and said, hey, are you needing someone just to volunteer? And uh, he said, actually, I'm looking for a, a full-time assistant. And so I became the full-time assistant and then he uh you know my my career Brandon if, if we go through all the way you'll know it's it's all by the grace of God it was just being him putting me in the right place and the right people yeah. uh after that first year of being the assistant coach he retired and I somehow convinced this private Catholic school I was 20 years old uh to hire me as the head coach <laughs> uh and so to do that, I actually got a job working midnights in Chicago so that I could have the days opened up to coach. So I worked 11 at night till seven in the morning, slept a few hours, coached, got ready for work, worked. Wow. Wow. So that, I mean, that truly was just a love, a love for the sport. Yeah. And it's hard to explain as far as like, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't good as a high school track athlete by any means. Um, I did have a, a yearning when I got into started coaching that uh, that first year and that second year. Uh, my high school coaches, who are great people, I already mentioned Coach Anderson and Coach Paschal and Coach Gross. My senior year, love those people, but they were not track coaches that, down there. Uh, and I don't know if it's like this in other places, but at least in my time frame in Alabama, you remember this is the early '90s, '90 through '94 the football staff coached all the other sports. Um, so our track coach, my first three years was our offensive or defensive line coach. And then my senior year, we got a whole new football staff. So that means we got a whole new track staff. Uh, so our quarterbacks coach was our uh, uh, track coach. In fact, it was so foreign to me that on the high school level, there could be someone who just coaches track. When I called De La Salle, when I called coach Martin to ask if he needed a volunteer, I asked him, I said, what, I, I literally, I remember I said, what position do you coach in football? <laughs> and that, that was what, that was the sound I got right there, laughter. He started laughing at me. And if you know Russ Martin, who, you know, was a, a really great coach here in the state of Illinois, you would know that is laughable. He's the opposite of what you would ever think of as a football coach. Uh, but he just starts laughing. He goes, I don't coach football. What are you talking about, kid? And I was like, you don't coach football. I was like, well, okay, this must be like the only guy. And he's like, no, our baseball coach doesn't coach, our wrestling coach, nobody. He's our football coaches coach football. I, I coach yeah. cross country and track. It was, that, that blew my mind, Brandon. Wow. That, that was the norm, that I was the oddball down in Alabama. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you, you find some places. I think I think a lot of times down south, it's like that in South Carolina too. What you mentioned at your high school was, you know, the football coaches are usually the track coaches, and um, you know, you're out there doing whatever, you know, and you don't know if it's good or bad. Um, and so when I recruit in South Carolina, I keep that in mind. You know, if a girl is running a certain time, I'm thinking, well, she probably isn't getting real track and field training. So, you know, I think she'll get a lot of improvements, a lot of upside there. But like I said, it's just like in Alabama. Um, that's a, <laughs> that's a now, funny story. That's a smart thing to do. And when I started coaching, I started doing the same thing. I'd ask them, uh, recruit, what is a speed day? That would usually tell me mm-hmm. the level of the coach. However, if you were to have recruited me, Brandon, that uh, bad coach and bad athlete. <laughs> so uh, it would not have worked out for you. You'd have, you'd have just gotten a bad athlete who was also poorly coached. That's all you would have gotten. Yeah. Uh, but because of our coaches lack of track and field now, they were really good football coaches. Okay. Uh, I really had a passion to make sure, like I, I knew I could have been a better high school athlete, high school track athlete than I was. Not great, but I'd have been better yeah. if I'd have had real coaching. Yeah. Uh, so my passion as I got into coaching was coaches education because mm-hmm. I never wanted a kid to not reach their ability because of my lack of knowledge. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's huge. I mean, I, I hope a lot of co- younger coaches hear that. Um, cause you know, hindsight's always 2020 you looking back thinking about what, you, Oh, had I done this? Had I, I'm, you know, I'm always trying to make sure I'm ready to, um, I guess to give the kids, so I, so five years down the road, I don't look back and say, man, had I just done this with them, you know, they would have gotten a lot better. Um, so I'm always just trying to be ahead of the game as far as from a knowledge standpoint, an education standpoint. So I think that's huge, you know, like every, what you said. Every once in a while, I'll run into one of the kids I coach. I coached for two years there in the high school. I'll run into them through Facebook or something like that. And I always just lead with an apology. I'm like, I'm so <laughs> sorry. I don't know what I was thinking training you that way. Uh, you know, just dumb. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree 1,000% with that. Um, I mean, at least you know it and you acknowledge it, you know. I mean, it's, it's one thing not to know when you're in the moment, but five or ten years down the road, if you're still not acknowledging it, it's kind of like, all right, come on. You know, That's a problem. We all make mistakes, you know, so I'm the same way. I'll see kids and they're like, you know, I tell them, man, you know, I, I'm sorry. Like, we shouldn't have done that. I was, I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking, right? <laughs> so I'm just trying to eliminate those moments. I mean, obviously I'll still have them, but, you know, don't hurt to try to eliminate them. But that's a good, you know, that's a good, um, you know, it's good that coaches are willing to acknowledge that. It's good when they do acknowledge that. So, you, I mean, you've been successful in both coaching and business. So who have been members, who have been uh, mentors that have influenced you? And this can be coaching, business, whoever. Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, uh, I think of these a uh, couple of people, uh, maybe on a daily basis, to be real honest with mm. you. Uh, I, I told you, you know, coaching education became a real passion of mine. Uh, in real early, in fact, when I was coaching the high school, I went to a coaching clinic at Indiana University. And there was, a, at the time, he was the assistant. He became the head coach for a while, a guy named Marshall Goss. Uh, and everybody who just heard his name that knows him just got a big smile on their face because uh, Coach Goss was just one of the greatest people in the world. And uh, he did the hurdles portion 
of that clinic. And that became kind of my passion because I was a terrible hurdler. And so I fell in love with it because I was terrible. <laughs> I was like, man, I'm terrible at this, but people are awesome. How in the world do they do this? Uh, and he, so through that coaching clinic, the way he taught and what he taught really made a lot of sense to me. You know, it was one of those where I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm, I've been doing that with these kids and I haven't been doing this. Yeah. And so I, uh, after high school, uh, coaching high school at De La Salle, I end up being, uh, again, just part of my journey and being blessed. I ended up going to Troy university, uh, down in Alabama, back, back mm-hmm. down there. I had a kid who from De La Salle who was being recruited there ended up going to UMKC uh, but Troy brought me in to finish up my undergrad and, and coach for them, kind of like a sort of a graduate assistant, an undergraduate assistant. Okay. Um, but I would still go up to Chicago in the summers to work, to make money. And so I called up Coach Goss uh, one spring as I was you know, getting prepared to move back to Chicago and asked if I could come down to Bloomington and just, just give me two hours. Let, let's just talk shop, right? Yeah. Uh, this is the type of man, the type of coach Marshall Goss is, he absolutely said yes, uh, told me to bring a change of clothes, which I still didn't understand. I was like, what is that? What is time a change of clothes? That's weird. Whatever. Uh, got down there, I don't know, probably noon or something like that. He, he basically kidnapped me. He would not allow me to leave. I had to stay the night, had to stay the night in his house. Uh, Miss Ann, his wife, cooked dinner. Uh, and so for well over 24 hours, almost straight. We did get, you know, we finished, we went to bed and get some sleep, but he just went over everything, how to coach, recruiting, uh, what it was like. He had just become the head coach at Indiana University. So what his goals were at at Indiana to, uh, to win nationals, he said, you have to win the Big Ten. So we're going after to win the Big Ten title, which they did on the women's side many, many times. Um, Would so much so that he showed me the, um, budget for Indiana. Hmm. Now, remember, I'm a, at this point, I'm 21, 22 ish. I'm a, I'm a kid. He's coaching <laughs> kids on his team that are older than I am. Uh, I'm an undergraduate coach. I'm nobody. I'm nobody. I have no, he has nothing to gain from me. He can't recruit any of my kids, you know, that kind of thing. And he just kind of pulled back the blinders of what it meant to be a quote unquote big time, you know, power five coach and the stresses and concerns and goals that they have and it really changed my trajectory of my career that that was the point where it was like okay everything I do in my career is to get to the SEC I grew up in Alabama so it was all about getting the SEC I basically said at that point if I want to be the best coach I have to beat the best coaches well you, you better be in the SEC then if that's that was my mindset yeah yeah so Marshall Goss is a huge mentor uh, of mine for coaching absolutely sounds like he poured into you just in in a short period of time which is you know I mean that is you talk that's generous I mean that's you know for somebody to take you bring you in their home feed you and just give you that education um I mean those things are invaluable I could never thank that man enough. Uh, you know, again, and that's just that one event. He uh, invited me for many summers after that to coach at the Indiana University High School track camp that they do every year. Uh, got to work with such high-level athletes like Danielle Carruthers. I mean, just great people. Met some great friends of mine. You know, one of our guests that we had on our podcast, Eric Kramer, he was a 15, 14-year-old freshman or sophomore at that camp. And now he's 
you know, the coach at UW or um, at uh, Wisconsin Lutheran. I mean, so I just met so many great people uh, because of that man who obviously was then always a reference on um, mm -hmm. resumes for, for other jobs and things like that. Yeah, just uh, really the definition of selfless is what who Marshall Goss is. Wow. That's, that's a story. I mean, um, you know, we all hope to be able to pour into, pour into um, younger coaches like that. And, you know, obviously, you know, I think most of us are about education and, and just, and just giving for the most part. Um, but that's, you know, like I say, he's just, he's easily in a position where he can say, no, he's got so much to do, but you know, <laughs> to do that, like I said, that's, that's the epitome. That's the definition of just, like I said, selflessness. That's, that's great. Were there any, any other, anybody else you can think of? Yeah. On the coaching side, again, with coaching education, you know, I coached for 10 years um, before I took a detour and was a professional poker player and then came to the business yeah. side of track and field. Uh, but 10 years of coaching and right at the end of my fifth year. So at that point I was at Ball State University, another just great place with a great uh, boss and Sue Parks that I had there. Uh, but at that fifth year, I was able to do my level two for USATF. And uh, I thought I was a, a sprints hurdles coach. So I tried to do the sprints hurdles at level two, uh, but it filled up really quickly. And so uh, I still remember Mike Korn, who's you know, now running USTFCCA's uh, education and, and a lot with their stuff. He calls me up and he says, uh, well, hey, you know, sprints and hurdles is filled up, but there is a, a jump spot if you want to do jumps. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I coached long jump and triple jump and high jump, but, you know, I was a sprints coach. That's where the, you know, sprinters, yeah. uh, hurdlers, you know. So, uh, so I said, well, it's better than nothing. So let's, let's go do it. Let me tell you how lucky that was. <laughs> uh, the man that taught that, I don't know, Brandon, if you've ever had an opportunity to meet this, this guy. Uh, you certainly have heard of him. He's a legend. Boo Shexnader. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, Man. Yeah. That dude. Uh, knowledge. <laughs> knowledge. Uh, not only knowledge. I mean, that, it, uh, absolutely smart. You know, there are some brilliant coaches in this world, but there's about five that are just, just another level. He mm -hmm. is one of those five. Mm -hmm. uh, but not only because of his knowledge, you know, I'm a, I'm a, Troy University grad, man, I ain't big, you know, I'm not smart. <laughs> uh, he can teach it. He can teach this high level stuff to where a guy like I can like, not just, un, not just see and learn it. I get it. Like, oh, I get it. I, I literally, so I was at Ball State for two years. First year, pre-boo. <laughs> the second year, post-boo, right? Yeah. So I had just, this is one example I'll give you. I had a young lady, Patricia Soman. Uh, I had her her junior and senior year. So junior year, pre-boo, senior year, post-boo, right? right? Uh, the previous coach had done a fantastic job with her. She was a 17-foot and something like 35, I think, uh, triple jump out of high school. So not terrible, from Virginia, you know, good. Uh, he got her uh, at the end of sophomore year. She was jumping um, 19 and I think think a shade under 39, I think, or, I'm sorry, a shade under 40. Uh, my first year with her, so pre-boo, I think I got her to right at 20 feet and 40, I don't think we went 41, but 40 high. Okay. Pretty good job. You know, that's a heck yeah. of an athlete. Post-boo, <laughs> so implemented her senior year, how to actually coach. Uh, she jumped, I think it was wind dated, but it was 
23 feet, I think it was, uh, and 44 high, almost 45 feet. A ton of legal 21 highs and 43s and stuff like that. Uh, also, only ran her in the, so for indoors, she also had to run the 60 and the 200. Okay. Uh, she was the 60 meter champ for the Mac and uh, the 200 meter champ, I believe. Uh, but also ran her on two four by fours the entire year indoor conference and outdoor conference. Uh, indoor conference, uh, it was a 300 meter track, but she split 53 something. <laughs> and that, that is all, all boo. All boo. So that guy, uh, Marshall Goss for teaching me what it means to be a coach and how to give back selflessly. Uh, and then Boo Shexnader on just, just straight up education on how to friggin' coach, man. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's, that's improvement. I love to hear those stories. Just, you know, see kids get crazy improvement like that. Um, you know, Boo taught my strength and conditioning class for um, USTFCCA. Um, and um, talk about eye-opening, you know. I mean, there's stuff that I, like say so you think you know, and then you talk to them and it's like, okay, you know, I was dumb, you know, and I, <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> and I mean, even in the strength and conditioning stuff, I learned a ton of stuff about track, you know, sprinting um, and energy systems and things of that nature that I used on the track, had never, didn't, that does not apply to the weight room. And um, we just, we're talking about strength and conditioning. So, you know, Boo is a wealth of knowledge. I mean, so um, down to earth. I mean, so for somebody who's accomplished so much, you know, he sat down and had lunch with us and just poured into us. And, you know, I'm just like, wow. So, yeah, Boo is great guy. Like I said, he's, I think he is on that upper echelon of, you know, you know, him, Dan Path, and, um, a lot of those guys that kind of started that um, that um, level one stuff, and you know, Garrett Winkler and Vern Gambetta and all those guys. So, yeah, yeah. and that's that's the thing. So the next year, I went to level two and did sprints. And mm -hmm. Dennis Shaver was the coach. Gary Winkler was the coach or the teacher. You know, high level stuff, right? I mean, yeah. those guys are geniuses. I love all, uh, both those guys. I still learned more about how to coach sprinters and hurdlers in jumps with boo than I did with those guys. And that's not saying anything about those guys. Cause those guys are oh, really yeah. good. They taught really well. Uh, mm -hmm. Boo was just much more on the um, training theory. So how you stagger and, and, and implement your, your uh, prescription really. Yeah. Uh, so that's what really helped me more with, with sprints and hurdles. Yeah. Hey, so we were amazed in the jumps of how good Boo is at, at drawing stick figures. Does he do the same thing when yeah. he does strength and conditioning? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, um, and then like I said, this is on you. I didn't know if you had anybody on the business side that, that you yeah. felt influenced you. Yeah, you know, um, I never thought of coaching track and field as a business. Uh, I do now, having both sides of it, uh, but it certainly is, uh, especially a head coach as they're doing a budget and planning travel and allocation of scholarship dollars. That is absolutely a, a business in that sense. Mm -hmm. uh, but I really didn't have the business side until I came to, to Gill Athletics. Uh, and I've had three just, uh, you know, pillars of teaching me 
how to translate the skills that I learned in coaching and, and honestly in poker as well uh, over to, to, uh, to the business side of it. So our, our president and CEO, David Hodge, who was a three-time All-American pole vaulter for Baylor himself, so you know, high-level uh, uh, athletics for track and field, he is, uh, you know, he's really helped bridge the gap on the enthusiasm of track and field, but also having to run a business and the value that you uh, need to give coaches so that they actually give you a dollar and, and you can run a business and hire people and things like that. Uh, my VP of sales, Steve Vogel saying, uh, just a great business guy, not a track guy, which actually uh, is good for me because he can temper my, my track enthusiasm <laughs> uh, in the business world, uh, to, uh, so to speak. And has just always been a real advocate of mine as I've brought new and different and crazy ideas to how we reach out and market to track and field coaches. And then my, uh, one of my bosses who's now retired, I'm, I'm jealous to be honest with you, uh, Fred Dixon. Uh, Fred was with us for 20 years. Fred was the uh, a decathlon, a decathlete uh, for the 76 and the 80 Olympic team. He made uh, both those Olympic teams. Unfortunately, we know about what happened in 1980, but um, but was a you know number one decathlete in the world in 1977. Uh, worked for Bristol Myers Squibb after athletics. So you know he he was one of the first that I knew of of athletics and business bridging together, uh, but also with the ethic side of positive, 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 do what's right, doing the right thing is always the right thing. Uh, so those, you know, those three, um, those three guys just, you know, I, I lean on them every day. I still, obviously, well, I guess I'm working from home, so I don't see them every day like I used to, but uh, you know, those are guys that I just value so much of going into battle and uh, you know, creating new equipment and new plans and new ways to serve coaches in the country. Nice, nice. So, now you were at um, Neosho um, back in 2011, and you like talk about the process of recruiting there. Cause you, um, what did you like? How, how I don't know how you would say this. How many people were there on the team when you got there, as opposed to after the first recruiting cycle? Uh, I got there after my spring semester at Troy. So this is. Uh... 2000. And so when I got there, I think they had three or five, maybe I'm misrepresenting it was seven, maybe it was seven, I'll say it was high side of seven, it was less than 10 kids that were signed to be on the roster in the fall. Okay. And, and so, go ahead. Well, I, so I got there in, you know, in May, June one, you know, right, right around there, you know, you know, it, Brandon, how many kids still are trying to figure out where to go to college at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. this minute, yeah. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that I, has been a real pillar for my career, whether it was coaching or uh, professional poker or now on the business side is, uh, you know, I don't, I don't pretend to be the brightest guy in the world, but I'm gonna outwork you. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and, if you and if you do outwork me, because certainly people outwork me, you are gonna, you're gonna have to work. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So uh, I literally, for the first, I don't know how long it took me, five days or whatever, I called every high school track coach in the state of Kansas personally and asked, hey, who's left? Who is still on your team that's a senior and uh, needs to go to a junior college? Because you know, uh, if you're a good athlete and you have good grades, you ain't going to junior college. Uh, so I called every single one of them. And, uh, and I know that had to be difficult because – there was there was no there was, cell phones and email was not as prevalent as it is now. So 
when you talk about calling those coaches, you talk about from a like an office phone. Yeah, and you know, good point. In fact, my very first cell phone ever was when I was in the Osho, but at that point, I didn't have one. Um, but you know, it was a little bit different, Brandon. You're right. The ability to reach people, email, cell phone, social media, wasn't there at all. Uh, uh, exactly right. Uh, but because we we only had landlines and we only had mail, uh, people were a little bit more cognizant of it. So when you left a message for someone on their voicemail, which I mean it's 2020, who leaves voicemails anymore, right? Yeah. That that has gone down even uh, tremendously. Uh, but when you left a voicemail, it kind of meant something. It meant more back then uh, because that was the only way that person probably could reach you. So, um, yeah, I certainly didn't get everybody on the first ring, but, you know, most of them, and I say most of them, you know, my memory is 20 years ago for crying out loud. I'm sure most of them didn't. So I did call every high school. I probably didn't talk to every high school coach in the state of Kansas, but I just went through. And so uh, that fall, we ended up having 25 to 30 kids, you know, got a couple of kids fell in my lap. You know, I had a couple of connections here and there. So I got some kids to transfer in that were uh, failing out of their four-year schools. Um, best kid I got was uh, Wichita Heights High School. I think it was. The coach told me, he goes, I do have a kid. He goes, he's the greatest kid in the world. He's so awesome. And you know what that means. It's like, oh, okay, well, he's not very good. <laughs> uh, but, at that, but I was not picky. I had nobody. So I'm like, yeah, let's do it, man. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think he ran 11-3 and 52. 52 53 maybe in the quarter uh pat agwu i'll never forget him uh freshman year he runs uh 1049 and 48 he ends up uh i left i was just there for a year ended up doing a sophomore year there and then transferred to kansas state he got a scholarship at kansas state and ran on their uh either big 12 or school record setting four by four team so he went on to have success an 11-3 kid from wichita kansas that I happened to call on June 1 and, and got him. And he was really coachable, really smart. And he was, by the way, a super great kid. He was just one of the most fantastic people around. So he, uh, he was a model student athlete. And I think that's what, you know, that's what it's about. Those are the, you know, I mean, I'm pretty sure you have those stories where they're not necessarily, you know, you may have kids that perform at a higher level and, win more accolades or whatever, but it's just those kind of stories. Somebody about a kid that was running 11-3 and 52, and he comes in and runs 10-4 and 48 and goes to Kansas. You know, I mean, those those stories right there are why I got into coaching, um, me personally, you know. And so, I mean, I was that kid. My, literally, my PR was like 52, and I never ran 100 before, so I don't even know what it would have been. But I was a high jumper. But, you know, to see that, that, that kind of stuff is – you know, what drives you as a coach is to get those kind of kids and, you know, hope you can get those kind of improvements with them, you know. So I think that's, you know, I don't know. Those are great stories. I like those kind of stories. Um, so, I mean, that, that's a unique situation, though, talking about that, that time period, um, getting that many kids in and, like I said, not having the, you know, the, the things that we have now, the advances in technology, the, the email, I mean, that stuff was coming around, but it wasn't, right. everybody didn't have it, you know. So, yeah, I had 20 something kids on the roster for that one year that I was there. So I had a lot of time to recruit during the time that I was there, that one, you know, that one season. Yeah. And uh, so when I left in August of the next year, so I did a full, so that would have been the 2001 track season. 
yeah, 2001 track season uh, was at Neosho. So I was recruiting at fall of 2000 and spring of 2001. And uh, I started signing a lot of kids. Um, you, you talked about, you know, the expectation of a program. One of the major expectations of a lot of junior colleges, at least at that time in Kansas, was what they called beds in the head or heads in the bed. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the more students they got, the more money they got from the government and things like that. And they paid, uh, uh, I think they paid all their room and board. We couldn't, we could only scholarship their tuition and books, if I remember correctly. Um, so it was all about number counts uh, for them. So I started signing more kids. And well, when you sign more kids, that means transportation costs go up, uniform costs, equipment costs, et cetera. So I kept going to our president and saying two things. One, I'm signing a heck of a lot more kids. Uh, oh, and the quality is a lot better. Um, I'm going to need more of a budget. My budget was $8,000 for everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everything. Travel, the whole nine. Uh, so they kept telling me, promise me, no problem, no problem, no problem, no problem. Well, I ended up, uh, as we go into the summer of 2001, so after the season, I'm at about 100 deep at that point. The number of uh, scholarships that I've signed, the kids that I've signed for scholarship, uh, had the top three high hurdlers in the country, all from Jersey, 13-3, 13-3, Had the number one 600-meter uh, kid from, uh, I think it's from Philadelphia. He, he was coming in. Had a 36-high, 300-hurdler from Texas coming in. Um, I'm missing kids. I have, Oh, the number two pole vault. I have no, you know, if Matt Campbell is listening to this, I am so sorry. I don't know why I recruited this kid uh, because I certainly can't coach the pole vault, and we certainly didn't have the budget to take care of a pole vaulter like you need to with yeah. the poles. But uh, the number two pole vaulter in the country from Indiana signed him. Uh, I mean, we were – back then, Barton – I haven't looked at the JUCO results lately, but Barton was the number one by, by far. Uh, Lance Brahman, who now is a friend of mine, uh, was the head coach there. And I basically said, I'm not going to be afraid of Barton and Lance. I'm going to go after the same kids he is. And that's usually who it came down to. It was – uh, us, uh, coach, I'm going to go to Neosho or Barton. <laughs> you know, that was what it always came down to. And uh, Lance and I uh, ended up not having a great relationship because of that uh, at that point, uh, because we were just two really stupid competitive people. <laughs> uh, he got the last laugh. He won nationals. I didn't. So, <laughs> um, but the school bottom line is so hundred kids and the school gave me not one red cent more in budget. So I, I, I had to bolt, man. <laughs> uh, now, I only bolted. It, it wasn't an easy decision, uh, but I was uh, being interviewed. I, had, I got an interview um, with Martin Smith. He was the head coach of Oregon. Uh, couldn't believe that, that was my best recruiting job is convincing Martin Smith he should uh, interview me for that job. Uh, that, that's, best that's the best job I've ever done. Uh, but he, he interviews me there. And uh, he ends up choosing some guy named Steve Sylvie, who's got, you know, at that point, <laughs> 10 national championships. I don't know what, what he was thinking, but, uh, <laughs> um, but you, know, you talk about people that affect your life. So I ended up not getting that job, of course. And, uh, but at the same time, Sue Parks had called me and said, hey, if you don't get the Oregon job, I'll hire you at Ball State for the women's coaching job here for the assistance job. And so, um, uh, the assistant coach at Oregon calls me up and uh, his name is Bill Lawson. He's now the head coach at Kent state university. Uh, he calls me up and, and says, uh, out of the blue, I had no clue who he was. And he just says, Hey man, I, I, I want to know you a little bit better. You're was I 25. 
Yeah. So I was probably 25 because you're 25. You just had an interview for maybe the most coveted assistant coaching job in the country. Uh, tell me more. How did you get that interview? You know, what, you know, tell me more about yourself. And so, we, uh, you know, we just exchanged, you know, histories and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the phone call, I asked Bill, I said, uh, coach, I go, uh, I've, you know, I didn't get the Oregon job. I've signed, you know, I went through the, the hurdlers, the pole vaulter, you know, all this stuff. I go, I got a great class. I go, I got probably the number one class in the nation, regardless of D1, D2, Juco, et cetera. Uh, I was like, but I've got, I've got Sue Parks at Ball State calling me up, offering me a job. What should I do? And I'll never forget this. And I never let Bill Lawson forget this either. I always remind him of the effect he had on my life. He said, Mike, he goes, every year we go into the junior college ranks and we get the best athletes. He goes, very rarely do we go into the JUCO ranks and get the best coaches. Now that's changed. There are a lot, a lot of coaches that transition from community college, junior college coaching to, to NCAA coaching now. But back then, it, there, there wasn't a lot. Yeah. Uh, so he just said, uh, you know, if, if your goal is to, to get to the SEC, like you said, and get to, you know, so Division One, he goes, uh, I suggest maybe you think about going back to the NCAA and Division One and getting underneath that rule book. So here's the NCAA rule book. Here's the JUCO. <laughs> so if you can see that. Uh, there's just a few more things to consider on the NCAA level. And uh, he goes, so maybe you should consider, you know, going that route. I'm not kidding you, Brandon. I had my phone. This is a landline, right? I never, I never hung up. I never moved the phone. I, I hit the receiver or, you know, the, the base or whatever, got the dial tone, called Sue Parks up and said, I'll be there Labor Day weekend. That had made up my mind. I was done. Wow. Going back to Division One. So now going back to Division One, um, I was, you know, Ball State, and I, we, we talked about you eventually going to Mississippi State. What was the difference in um, your expectations of recruits? I mean, obviously there was a, I'm guessing there was a performance difference, a level of performance that you were looking for that might have been different. Any, any changes in your expectations from a personality standpoint for those students? No. Interestingly, the performance expectations actually, and this might be a controversial way of saying this, but the performance standards actually went down. Hmm. Uh, and so what I mean by that, at, at Neosho, I was only recruiting, I shouldn't say only, I was majority recruiting the top 15, top 20 kids in each event around the country. Uh, the problem I had with junior college recruiting, and this is just, uh, this is not a reflection on other junior college coaches that are out there. Uh, this just was my kind of mentality was I was looking for that, you know, 1030, 1040 guy sprinter, uh, 1150, 1160 female sprinter that had under a 17 ACT. Mm. So back then you talk about technology. I don't know how they do it today, but back then we'd, they'd fax us their transcripts. Yeah. And so I remember calling guidance counselors or coaches and saying, Hey, I see your kid ran 10 20. Um, I'm at a junior college. What's his grades. That was my first question. What was What's his grades? What's his, what's his test score. And if he was like, Oh yeah, he scored a 22. And I'm like, Hey man, tell that kid, <laughs> good luck. Hope to see him down the road. Click. He ain't coming to Chanute, <laughs> Kansas. <laughs> go to Austin, Gainesville, uh, Myrtle Beach. It don't matter. You can go anywhere but Chanute, freaking Kansas, all right? Um, one of the girls, uh, great girl hurdler, female hurdler out of Miami, I think Southridge. She ended up going, I'm pretty sure she went to South Carolina. I think if I get my names right, it was Tiffany Ross. 
Uh, I remember calling her guidance counselor. You know, she was stuck 13 something, 13 point, you know, at high school. I remember talking to the guidance counselor. I was like, well, you know, it was like, I'm here for those kids who don't have the grades. And she was like, oh, coach, she's got like a three point. And she wouldn't tell me her test score, but she's well over, she's well qualified through the clearinghouse. And I was like, will you tell that young lady good luck? And she'll never hear from me again. <laughs> it was, I felt a little, I don't know, sharkish. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly, here's my saving grace. Here's where I can like look myself in the mirror and stuff, you know, every day is I didn't wish for them to have bad grades. Yeah. I just knew that, okay, if you don't have bad grades, I'm done with you. I'm, you know, you're such a high caliber. You're not coming to school here for the grace of, coming to become a Neosho County Panther for crying out loud. Right. Yeah. So, um, in fact, I, you know, I recruited a lot of kids. I had a lot of kids that were coming to Neosho, but they had 17 or 16 ACTs and I would encourage them to retake the ACT and they would, they would score the 18 or 19 or whatever they needed, you know, on the sliding scale. And I was genuinely ecstatic for them. In, mm. in fact, one kid that I had great kid. Oh my goodness. This guy is a track nerd 101 growing up uh Gwen McFadden he was from Connecticut six foot I don't know five dude was tall 20 point I think probably at a high school he was 21 point super stud super stud knew every stat in track and field he'd blow us out of the water on on Jeopardy track and field trust me that was a genius uh was real low on the ACT or SAT uh kept encouraging them things like that and he ended up qualifying thank goodness I was genuinely happy for him and he'll come back into the story in a little bit, but he ends up signing with Mississippi State. So I go to Ball State. When I say the athletic quality lower a little bit, at Ball State, we weren't going to be able to sign. I was on the female side, the, the women's coaching staff. Uh, we weren't going to be able to sign the top 10 or 20 100-meter sprinters or long jumpers, et cetera, there. They're, you know, they're going to go to, you know, other schools, big, big yeah. 10 school or uh, power five schools, things like that. Um, so, and, and we're in the Midwest where, the, you know, there's like a billion friggin' uh, track programs in the Midwest, you know, the Mac conference, uh, of course, the big 10, a mm. hundred billion great division two schools, Tiffin and uh, uh, Grand Valley. I mean, there's so much competition. So, you know, we were looking for a lot of diamond in the roughs, a lot of, uh, good kids that wanted to come to school at Ball State because maybe their communications degree that they had there, things like that. Uh, and then I had to reset the academic bar though, because now I, you know, I, they had to be 18 and higher, <laughs> things mm -hmm. like that. So that was the major thing was what kids were going to come in and fit in the team that would uh, fit with them. We had a really good team. Um, we, you know, maybe I'm the bad coach. We didn't win any conference titles when I was there, but before I got there, they won lots of conference titles. After I left, I think they won some. Sue Parks does an amazing job of winning conference titles. Uh, she's very, like, that's a, a big goal of all of her teams. Uh, and so we were looking for kids that could come in and score in the MAC and then, you know, hopefully send a few to nationals every year, which we did. Now, was that the same, you know, moving into Mississippi State? Um, obviously, there, I, I would think you'd be able to get higher caliber athletes there. Yeah, you'd think, huh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> radically different. <laughs> uh, let me tell you, I, I want to bring back um, Glenn McFadden. So uh, I told you I went to level two to do my jumps, right? Yeah. So that was after my first year at Ball State. So it, uh, I'm in Muncie, Indiana, and the level two is in Boise, Idaho. And, you know, we're 
we're mid-major. They can't afford or won't afford um, to buy me a ticket to go, but they'll give me a school car and a school uh, credit card. So I've got to drive. I don't know if you can kind of in your head think of where Muncie, Indiana is and where Boise, Idaho is. Uh, that's a far stinking drive. But I knew to get better, I have to get better. I have to learn. Yeah. So I drove cross country, get to Boise, Idaho. And have, have you ever been on Boise State's campus? No, no. Gorgeous. And there's this river that goes right through campus. It's just, it's, that's a pretty stinking cool campus, man. Let me tell you. So before the um, opening session for level two, you know, everybody's checked in. So everybody's uh, over by the river watching all the Yahoo college kids on tubes and, you know, playing around. And I see this coach standing there and he's got Mississippi state gear on. And so I just asked him, I said, Hey, uh, do you happen to know Glenn McFadden? And he's like, yeah, I know Glenn McFadden. I coach him. I'm, I'm Steve Dudley. I was like, Oh, he goes, how do you know Glenn McFadden? And I was like, you know, I recruited him at the school. I used to be at the JUCOs. Like I was so happy that he qualified. It's so much easier on everybody if they can just qualify into the four-year school that they want to go to. I was like, yeah. I was just super, super happy. And so, you know, Steve and I are just kind of bantering back and forth. And he, he asked me, he's like, uh, oh, so um, when did you fly in? And I was like, fly in. And I was like, I ain't no big time SEC school like you, buddy. He's like, uh, there ain't no plane ticket for me. I drove. And he goes, wait a minute. I wish I could do his accent. I used to have a great Southern accent, you know, growing up in Alabama. Now it's, I'm kind of, I'm boring. I'm in the middle of the road accent, but, uh, and Steve is all Alabama, Mississippi. He's got the accent, man. Let me tell you. But, uh, he goes, uh, what do you mean? He goes, you're at ball state. He goes, isn't that in Indiana? I was like, oh yeah. He's like, how long did it take you to drive? And I was like, man, I've been driving for days, buddy. <laughs> so, but he asked me, he goes, why did you do that? And I go, I told them my thing, you know, hey, I want to, I want to coach the best. I got to learn this. What better way to learn than come to level two? Little did I know, he filed that away in the back of his head. So recruiting people like Glenn McFadden, really wishing for their success and them getting it. And then, uh, you know, working hard to, and, and um, continually learning all led to how I got to, to Mississippi State. So uh, my second year at Ball State, i you know, I told you that kid, uh, Patricia, did really well in the long jump, triple jump. She made it to nationals. And uh, so we're down at Arkansas for indoor nationals. And all of us little Mac coaches, we're huddled around at this bar. We're talking and stuff. And Steve Dudley walks by. And I didn't think he would remember me, but I just took a shot in the dark. I kind of, I you know, nudged him as he was walking by. And he goes, oh, he goes, Mike. First of all, I was impressed. He remembered my name. Uh, Back then, we used to have a website called trackshark.com. Yeah, you remember Trackshark? Yeah, yeah. Tom yeah. Bresh. Yeah. yeah. Well, Tom Bresh, Bresh is the guy who ran that. Well, he was a Mac guy. He went to Kent State. So okay. anytime someone from the Mac was really good, they got front page exposure. <laughs> and this is before track and field news, I think, and all that. So it was the place to go for track and field. So Patricia was on the front page a lot because she was, you know, one of the top jumpers in the nation, obviously number one in the conference. So, uh, so I'm sure he kind of had read some stuff, you know, my names in those articles, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but he, he looks at me, he goes, Mike, he goes, we were just talking about you the other day. And I was like, man, this guy's a good recruiter. He's got me feeling like he really was talking about me the other day. <laughs> but he goes, 
He goes, what do you want to do in this sport? And I was like, man, I want to be you. I want to be sprints, jumps, and hurdles in the SEC. And he goes, you're going to make it one day. And again, I was like, man, this guy is so good. Like, he's making me believe I'm actually going to be there. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. But, man, he makes me feel like I am. Well, uh, after that second year, I'm at level two in Asheville. So now I'm doing my sprints and hurdles. And uh, the head coach at Mississippi State at the time, uh, Al Schmidt, pulls me out of class and says, congratulations, you're a bulldog. They hired me. Wow. wow. Remember how I told you, by the grace of God, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't drive to Boise. I don't recruit Glenn McFadden. I don't uh, stand next to this guy from Mississippi State and have the chutzpah to say, hey, how are you doing? You know, those kind of yeah. things. Yeah. Funny how I things work out. <laughs> Yeah, that's, man. Um, I mean, I, my next question was going to be, how, you know, what advice would you give to a young coach? But if they can't get something out of that story. <laughs> you got problems if, uh, if there ain't a few life lessons in there for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, well, I'll still add, is there anything that you, any advice that you would give them? You know, I'm a... I'm going to say I'm famous. I'm not famous at all. Uh, but one of the famous things that I say a lot of times, if I meet a young coach, I'll ask them, you know, well, what did you major in? You know, because they were just in college, you know, a year or two years ago. And they'll tell me, you know, brilliant biomechanics, kinesiology. There's so many brilliant teaching. And I go, you know, you look smarter than someone who would become a track coach. <laughs> And it's funny because, you know, I lift up, I have such a huge admiration for track and field coaches, but then I make this joke of like, you could be doing so many other things. Why in the world are you coaching track? Come on, man. What are you doing here? You know? Um, But, and I do believe that because I've seen, I have met so many fantastic coaches, brilliant people, caring people. They, these are the type of people that, cure cancer, um, find, found businesses and grow them. So other people are employed, uh, are public servants, uh, you know, future congressmen and women and and presidents and things like that. Track and field coaches are some of the top people in this world. And they're out there on the track trying to figure out how to go from 1060 to 1050 or how to go from uh, six foot in the women's high jump to six two. I mean, it's like, come (laughs) on, man, you could be curing cancer. What are you doing? That's true. Yeah. That's true. There are some great minds in this sport. I mean, great people, great I've minds. I've some coaches and I'm just like, hey, you are really, really, you know, not, not to say track coaches are dumb, but I'm like, I've, I've had conversations with, with guys and I'm just like, man, you are intelligent. Like, you are really smart. I'm, you know, that thought, never thought about it like that. You know, what would they be doing if, um, you know, they went into some, some sort of other endeavor? Um, now, what was the thinking behind your decision to, to make your, your move to sales back in 2006 from coaching to sales? Yeah, I needed a job, Brandon. That was my decision. Uh, so after my second year at Mississippi State, uh, it was my 10th year of coaching. Uh, we had a, a kind of a, not kind of, it was a national controversy with one of our athletes. Uh, that was just unjust and unfair, to be real honest with you. Um, 
And so, uh, you know, honestly, I decided to get away from track and field to see if it really was my calling. You know, I was 30, 10 years of coaching, had, had made my number one goal. I made it to the SEC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, it was a little bit of maybe the grass isn't greener on the other side. Now, yeah. let me caveat that by saying the coaches, the staff that we had at Mississippi State are still some of the greatest people in my life. Al Schmidt was our head coach, Big Daddy Al, love him to death. Steve Dudley, who became the head coach and then uh, resigned, uh, is just a great guy who will do anything and everything for his people, his, his coaches, his athletes, just a, a real go-giver. You know, you hear about go-getters, mm-hmm. Steve Dudley is a go-giver. That's the type of person he is. Um, Karen Rademeyer, Houston Franks, who's at LSU now, um, Keith and Angela Powell, great, great people. The difference was we were not after an SEC title. We were after a national title. Now, you know, the difference is, you, you know, you can win a national title with, well, back then you could do it with probably five to 10 people, you know, super studs. Nowadays, it's, I mean, good Lord, you got to score so many freaking points. You got to have a team yeah. of 20. It's, it's unbelievable the level of coaching that has yeah. happened in the last 15 years. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and so because we didn't have that team camaraderie because we weren't going after an SEC title where more people could contribute, where at Ball State, we were all about that MAC title. So it was, you, you pulled for that girl who was the possibly eighth place scorer in the high jump. You, you yeah. pulled for her. She was part of the team because that one point could do it where at Mississippi State, that, you know, that, wasn't, that wasn't it. So I decided just to get away. Let me just get as far away as possible from track and field and see if it would pull me back in. Uh, and I was, I'd learned to play poker over the last few years. And in Mississippi back then, there was a lot of poker playing and I was, I was actually making more money talking about salaries of coaches. I was making more money playing poker on the side than I was in my salary at at Mississippi state. Um, you know, it's crazy. People think sec big salaries. I took a pay cut to come to Mississippi state. Wow. Yeah. 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 So you want my, you want my advice to young coaches? go put that brilliant mind and work ethic of yours to something else. <laughs> yeah. Actually it's, it's hold yourself to a high standard and don't, don't take peanuts when you're worth a whole heck of a lot more than peanuts. That, that's the real yeah. advice and, and to be, you know, cut the, the jokes and stuff. But so I go to, I moved to Vegas. I'd never been before and played poker. Um, actually track came into play there. Uh, a world series of poker champ from 97 uh, was a track fan. His brother was a 410 miler at uh, Brown University, I think it was. Um, and he and I got to talk. I mean, he was big time, World Series poker champion. That's like being an Olympic gold medalist yeah. in the poker world. Yeah. Um, and so he kind of buddied up with me and whatnot. Well, lo and behold, uh, a year or two after I left, he was on the track at UNLV and he asked the head coach, Yvonne, if he could, you know, run. He was, he was uh, working out. And so she said, yeah, you know, just stay in lane eight or whatever. He was so, um, smitten by her niceness that he donated a high jump pit. He donated the money, I think, for a high jump pit. And so Yvonne and this guy, Huck Seed, uh, became friends. Well, I'm now, you know, I'm now friends with Yvonne and this poker player. We're all just an amalgamation of <laughs> friends. It's the craziest thing. But um, so what led me to Gill, I, I decided poker was not as fun as you think it is when you do it for a living. Uh, when your lunch money is on the table every day, it gets a little stressful. Uh, <laughs> and you think it's the greatest thing in the world to work at night all the time. Well, you miss the sun as well, man. It's, this is not, it's not good, man. It's not good. Um, so I 
started looking into coaching jobs. Okay. And, uh, you know, I applied to several places, but honestly, at that point, I had become so, what's the word? Um, at Mississippi State, even though, you know, we were pretty low in the SEC for spending, we were still way higher than, say, a Ball State and Troy and things like that. Um, you know, at Ball State, our kids got, I think, two pairs of shoe a year, you know, spikes and trainer. Uh, and maybe it was one a year, if I can remember right, so, so long ago now, Brandon. But at Mississippi State, you know, we an average of seven to eight, nine, ten pairs of shoes per kid. Uh, so I was pretty spoiled. That's the word. I was spoiled. I was not my ego, poorly, my bad, bad, big ego at that time, would not allow me to go back to the mid-major level. So I only applied for power five jobs. Well, as you know, there's only so many. Yeah. Uh, and so um, I had reached out to my contact at Gill. I'd always been a Gill guy for buying my equipment uh, through my career. And uh, luckily they had a job opening up and it paid more than I'd ever made coaching. Uh, I got to go home at five o'clock pretty much every night. Um, the decisions of 18 to 22 year olds didn't affect my life anymore. And I got to go to all the big track meets still. Where do I sign up? <laughs> uh, and so, you know, uh, they, they got the, uh, they paid me. They, they actually did it. I couldn't believe it. They, they brought me in and best decision of my life. And I met my wife here, two kids now, uh, real community. I, I love this place. Best decision of my life. Yeah. Now, now they were just named, um, Yale Athletics was named the NCAA track and field equipment sponsor. What, what was your role in that process? Yeah, we had been the USATF sponsors for quite a while. Um, <laughs> before I got to Gill, they had become the USATF sponsors. And then through the first uh, half of my career here so far, we were doing the uh, U.S. Nationals every year. Uh, we got to do two Olympic trials, which are just fantastic experiences uh, to do that. Worked with Oregon with, uh, with those two Olympic trials and such. And, uh, but, you know, the NCAA, you know, we are all about coaches, uh, which fits really in line with my passion as a, as a former coach and what, you know, my passion for, for coaches and their development as people. Um, so we really coveted that NCAA sponsorship. That, that's where the majority of coaches are. Uh, as compared to USATF, you know, there's uh, fewer coaches that are coaching that type of athlete on a full-time basis uh, than there is uh, on the college level. And so we'd always coveted that, uh, that sponsorship deal. And, um, you know, we tried for it a couple of times and, you know, didn't get it. And then uh, one year, uh, our value proposition was uh, better overall and what we were providing service-wise than uh, the previous sponsor. And, you know, we got it. And it's been actually I can say how fantastic it's been but it's the coaches that I really care about what their opinions are and yeah. the feedback to us has been positive so I feel like we've done a good job of um, really elevating the whole thing it was uh, the, the the three levels were being serviced in three different stratums so the division one was getting all the top equipment division two next a little bit lower and division three was uh, I may be overstating this a little bit but it's like whatever division three gets is what they get and, you know, for us, our ego is not based on the name of the school. Uh, well, certainly, you know, we're extremely happy that University of Oregon chose us for their track facility. But you know what? Honestly, we covet the Eastern Oregon's university and Southern Oregon just as much as we do the University of Oregon. Uh, so for us, it didn't, didn't matter if you were Division One or Division Two or Division Three. This was your 
top of the year. This was your goal for you and your athletes for the year. So mm -hmm. we felt like you should have the top equipment at that championship. Yeah. So uh, the same equipment. So our, our value proposition was the same equipment that we're going to bring to the division one finals is what we're also going to bring to the division two and division three finals. Nice. Uh, and we were going to brand everything uh, in that NCAA blue and not the host school. So that way, uh, other schools when they came to the host school it felt like you were actually coming to a championship venue not the home meet that was hosting yeah. the NCAAs for that host school gotcha gotcha yeah. that makes perfect sense I mean and, and all the the equipment we've got from Gil here at Converse works great so <laughs> we'll keep I, you know I appreciate you telling me that and it's true because if you were about to spring something on me I was gonna be so <laughs> mad at you Brad. I was like man why you can't tell me that offline Oh no, you know it's it's worked great for us. So I'm always buying equipment from you guys. So what what's the future looking like for Gill Athletics moving forward? Yeah, you know, uh, normally that's a really good question, right? But in today's world, that's a really great question, right? Because mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's so as much as coaches and athletes are missing their seasons, their seasons have been taken from them. Their opportunities to PR and earn all American certificates. And honestly, again, you know, I, I'll always come back to it. My passion is for coaches development, not how to coach better, but you as a coach, uh, you know, it saddens me that coaches don't have the opportunity to earn bonuses uh, mm -hmm. to prove that they should get a higher, uh, a bump in salary uh, to prove that they should be at a different level of, of coaching or whatever. You know, I, I, I that hurts me uh, to be honest with you. I, I hate that our season is taken away from uh, from our coaches the opportunities for that uh, and so for us you know as you would know Brandon as a, as a coach you know there is no spending right now uh, you know it's it's dropped so uh, we just had the uh, at this time we have to redefine what a win is uh, normally a win is is Converse is redoing their track and you know we pitch what we think for uh, you, you that might work for you for service and quality of equipment and things like that and we win and we're super happy and you know we get to pay our employees that's a huge deal for me is that uh, we grow so that we can hire more people so more people are working yeah. uh, I love I love that aspect that's really my why uh, my passion is coach is college coaches or I'm sorry uh, track and field coaches uh, but my why is I want to hire more people. I want to put more people to work at our at our factory here in Champaign. Um, so we have to redefine what a win is. So we're doing things. We're really we got a lot of time on our hands. <laughs> uh, so we're really thinking about what is our value proposition to coaches. Why should you, Brandon Morton at Converse College, choose Gill equipment regardless of who you buy it from? We have a lot of great partners out there that sell our equipment. Why? should you choose our equipment over a lesser cost? You know, we're not the cheapest equipment out there. A bunch of coaches just uh, nodded their head yeses when they heard me say that. Uh, but it's because we believe, and, we, and we're not right for everybody, but we believe that it costs more to serve a coach than it is to just make a vault box or make a pole vault pole. Mm -hmm. We believe that once the order is taken, that's when the job actually begins. A lot of other people think, oh, great, I got your order, Brandon. All right, move on to the next one. 
the job's just started because now we have to fulfill that order for you. We have to make sure that the equipment you got works the way you wanted it. Do we need to do a return? Do we need to do an upgrade, uh, warranty, etc.? cetera? Uh, did you forget you should have ordered pull bags? Well, okay, how can we get you taken care of that now after the fact, those kind of things, working within the confines that you have of your budget. Uh, so this is allowing us to figure out other things. Um, you know, Brandon, you know, I started a podcast. Uh, actually, I started a few months ago, but timing-wise, it just hit when I started publicizing it during this uh, during, during Nationals Week and leading into coronavirus. So, you know, honestly, just talking to track coaches, finding out their history, connecting them together, uh, bringing them other value. Um, I've got a guest coming up next week that is not a track guy, not a track coach, uh, but he is a leader and authority in leadership. And I believe, especially in today's world, leaders are unbelievably important. And uh, so I want to bring people who are an authority in that matter to the coaches so that they can improve their leadership. Well, that, I mean, and um, to go back to what you said about, I think it's so important customer service post-purchase. Hmm. You know, I, and that's something I never, I didn't, I didn't never thought about it. Um, Obviously, I'm not in customer service or sales anymore. I was for two years after college, but being able to service someone after they've made the purchase, I think is so important. Um, and, um, you know, you get so many sellers that you don't hear from them after you, you know, after you buy the product, whatever it may be. So I think that, I mean, I think that's something that's important in recruiting as well. Um, you know, don't just sign to recruit and, they don't hear from me till August, you know? Um, so that's very valuable. That's, I think that's another important lesson. I mean, although we're talking about the business side of things, I think that's something that could be, cause like I said, coaching is business. So I think that's something that can be used um, in, in recruiting and business in general. Uh, it's just a, that's an interesting concept. So. Yeah. You, you hit it right on the head uh, as far as the business slash coaching aspect of it, you know, uh, we've got teammates that weld and paint and cut and things like that. Uh, well, you have teammates that are long jump for you, high jump for you, et cetera. Those, those are your assets. Uh, those are your employees that you're leading. Um, and that may be very controversial to say with NCAA with the whole paying the athletes and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but you know, they're on your team and, you know, they can, they can get you fired. Just like my team could get me fired. If I don't serve my team, uh, they eventually, they quit, right? They transfer <laughs> in the athlete world. So you absolutely have to be, I think there, I've been really exploring a lot of this, a difference between a go-getter and a go-giver. And, and I use that term with Steve Dudley earlier about a go-giver. Um, you know, we, we think about in the world, whether it's coaching or business about go-getters, you know, those are the people we, we put on this pedestal. They're real go-getters, right? You've heard that maybe your whole life. Uh, well, when I hear that, I think of more of um, someone who's who's out for themselves, you know, a go-getter. Like, I'm getting something for myself, yeah. uh, whether it's I'm going to go get a recruit for myself. I'm going to make myself look better. <laughs> Not the team. I don't care about the team. I'm making myself look better, right? Um, or I'm going to pitch this track meet to the coach because um, I'll be able to do X, Y, and Z. Again, it's it's about about you. I'm exploring this attitude of being a go-giver. Now it's about you. So as a, as a sales person, as a sales professional, and I think there is a difference between being a, a salesman, saleswoman, and a sales professional. It's a, it's a higher standard that I personally uh, hold myself to. 
I'm a go-giver. It's what value can I give you, Brandon, in this example, that's worth enough for you to pay me money? That, that's the way I look at it. What value? So whether it's a, an item and the features and benefits that it, it, uh, it has with it, or it's a, um, the knowledge that, oh, okay, uh, the value Gil brings to me with starting blocks is those are the same starting blocks at nationals. Well, I want to get kids to nationals, so I better use their blocks. That's a value proposition. Uh, things like that. That's how I now start thinking about when I frame up uh, an offering for a uh, facility. I do more facility work now than individual sales. Um, I think about what is the value proposition for that facility that they would choose to actually give me their hard-earned money. It's someone, someone's hard-earned money, you know, whether it's a taxpayer's money or your money out of your pocket, uh, someone has earned that money. Uh, so I want to be a good steward of that and provide the value proposition uh, and give you the value that would, would make you humble me and give me money for it. <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. Well, um, did you have anything else you wanted to add in general just for the sake of the track and field world? You know, more for the sake of you, Brandon, um, what I am super excited about this time frame, and I told you I'm real positive about track and field in general, uh, in a time that it's real easy to be negative for track and field. Uh, we know some things are going to come down in the fall and in the years coming down uh, with reduced budgets, and maybe some programs are going to get dropped. I hope not. I pray not. Uh, but we know something you know, March Madness got canceled and God bless you better be a college football fan right now yeah. uh, if you care about track and field. Yeah. Um, so it's real easy to be negative right now, but I'm super positive because I've seen it so many times in the world that during down times, amazing things occur, amazing businesses. And, and I'm sorry, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but amazing businesses have been founded and created during, uh, stock market sell-offs, the housing bubble, things like that. Uh, what we have right now, two positive things that I know of that have come out of track and field during this downtime. One is uh, this coaches collab group on Facebook. This is, I tell you, it is, it's more on the how to coach side of track and field. For my group, you know, I told you my group was beyond the track. Mm -hmm. And Coach's Club is more about, you know, how to become a better coach and things like that. But it is, it's on fire what they're doing. I mean, it's 20, I don't know, gosh, when I first found out about it, there was a thousand people. And this was within, I think it started, I, actually, if, you, if you're interested in it, um, go look at our Gill Athletics Connections podcast. Marissa Chu is the one who started it. So I have a, uh, one of the episodes, I interviewed her just on how she came up with this Coach's Club. Uh, but within a week, it was like a thousand people and two weeks later, it's, it's been going on for maybe not, not maybe a month. I'll say it's been a month. I think they're at 2,400 coaches daily, daily. There's multiple conference calls of a hundred plus people on long jump, decathlon. Uh, they do, they're doing an amazing series on women in coaching and women issues and how do we get women uh, more into coaching and at higher levels and things like that. Uh, they are, tomorrow they're going to have one on recruiting in general. Uh, so much value is coming out of that group. So I've seen that. And the other aspect is, is people like you, Brandon, I am seeing an increase in podcast uh, or video um, meetings. 
Uh, I know there was another group of women who were doing their own uh, women in coaching Zoom call for people to call in and ask questions and things like that. You're doing this podcast. These are all things that give value to others. Those are positive things, man. So I want to give you a shout out. You didn't know I was going to do this. <laughs> I'm going to give you a shout out, my man, that you did not, when your season was canceled, you could have gone and hid in the corner and licked your wounds and woe is me and well, I'd see you next year and I don't even want to talk track. And instead, you used your passion for track and field to do something to give others value. And I can't say enough good about that. That is so, so positive, man. Kudos to you. Well, I try to, I choose, I'm all, I've always been try, the type of person trying to see the glass half full as opposed to half empty. So, you know, I your think glass that, is three quarters full, my man. All <laughs> you're missing is a track and field season. You got everything else going for you, man. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you coming on. I mean, like I said, I mean, I, I'm going to continue to do this as long as time permits. And, um, you know, it's something I want to keep doing as long as I can. So hope I can have you back. And, um, you know, we have some more conversations. Like I said, I have a lot of things I got in my head as far as panels and stuff like that. So I just want to make sure it's done right when I do it. Um, and like I said, I'd like to have you back to, you know, if you have time, obviously you're in a different, you know, you're in a different, um, not too different, but sort of a different career, obviously with business and sales. But, you know, I tell everybody if I can get them back, I want to get them back when we start doing panels and stuff like that. So, well, let me leave you with one piece of advice for, for you, Brandon, on that. And, and one of your listeners is going to hear this and there'll be value for them in this as well. Uh, you're a super creative guy. You can't start this kind of stuff without having some creativity. So even without knowing you, Brandon, I know you're a creative guy and you're already starting to think about panels. And again, what you're really thinking there is how can I do things that people would want to listen to, which means mm. I'm giving value. Here's my one piece of advice. I've seen this uh, looking back now, you know, I'm an old man now, Brandon, so I get to say these things, you know, looking back in the day, uh, <laughs> What I've seen so many people do is they have let perfection get in the, get in the way of execution. Mm. And what I mean by that, there are tons of people, you know some people like this, Brandon, throughout your life now, that should have been a great artist, but they had to paint the perfect thing first so they never got started. Mm. Uh, people that would be in a great um, uh, triple jumper, but they never started because, well, I'm a long jumper. And if I'm going to do triple jump, it's, I've got to know those phases and all that stuff perfectly. They let perfection get in the way of execution. Doing is always more important than doing things perfectly. You will get better as you move along. Think about, you, you, you've done how many episodes roughly now? 10 plus, right? 10-ish? Yeah, I'm, I've published 14, 15 15, I guarantee you, you answer me honestly. Think about the 15th one you've done and go back and think about the first one you did. Yeah. Are, you, are you better on the 15th than you were the first one? Yeah, yeah. And what would, what would have happened if you would have in your head said, you know what, I can't do podcasting until I get the, you know, the microphone, that's important. And uh, you know, I need to get some kind of uh, software to make sure that I you know, put it up on the podcast. No, you said, you know what, I've, here's what I've got. I've got this, this laptop uh, and it has speakers in it and I can zoom. Cool. Let's try it. Let's see what happens. And you've continually gotten better. That is why when I say kudos to you, that's what I mean is 
you were not afraid to get started. You didn't wait till perfection, which what in the world is perfection? That's ludicrous. <laughs> yeah. There's only one person yep. <laughs> that I've ever known perfect. So sorry if you're trying to hit that bar. Uh, yep. you, you didn't let perfection get in the way of execution. And now you have provided 15 and there'll be way more mm -hmm. uh, episodes of value to other people out there, man. So super, this may, I hope this doesn't seem weird to you, uh, but I'm super proud of you, man. I really am. I love this kind of stuff. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it a ton. So I'll keep them coming out and uh, like, I'll, I'll for sure be in touch with you. I'm always here for you, buddy. If you ever need anything. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right. Have a great day, man. All right. You too. Well, that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. If you like what you heard, give us a rating and review on iTunes and hit that subscribe button. As well, we encourage you to connect with others and share the podcast on your social media. Looking forward to next time when we connect you with another great track and field connection. Bye, guys.